It is great to be with you. We have been in a series called Truly Blessed, and uh, that, that little video you just saw is kind of a, proposing a lot of questions. How will you follow Jesus? What will you do? Life is a journey, and what will happen? How will you trust and follow him? And today we're going to continue our series Truly blessed. And we've been going through the attitudes, the be attitudes, the attitudes that which be in our lives in order for us to follow Jesus correctly. In order for us to live like he is calling us to live, we must have these attitudes in our life. And so we started off with blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then last week we said, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. This week we're moving on to the next section. So what we're going to do, as we've been doing the past few weeks, is we're going to read Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. And uh, my hope is after this eight-week series that you could just recite this from memory, uh, because we're going to read it every single week, and why not, right? So it's going to be on the screen behind me, Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 1, going through verse 12. It says this, seeing the crowds... He went up on the mountain, he being Jesus, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revel against you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. As well. And the key one that we're going to talk about today is blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Let's pray one more time. Jesus, we thank you for this service. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are good. And today we ask that you would be glorified in this place. We ask that you would be lifted high, that any words that are from me would be quickly forgotten, but anything from you would be forever remembered. We love you today. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Amen. So let me ask you a question. Does this beatitude seem extremely difficult to you? I don't know if it's just me, but this beatitude seems kind of weird. It seems kind of counterintuitive, right? This one seems difficult because it's like the meek shall inherit the earth, right? But that simply doesn't seem to be the case. I don't know about you, but from recent history or from history from thousands of years ago, it doesn't seem like the meek are the ones who inherit the earth, right? It seems like when you look back at the conquerors of old and you look back at like Genghis Khan and these people who were taking over the world, they were certainly wouldn't be described as meek. And, and the reality is, is in our world... In order to gain wealth, it seems like, in order to have this power, it seems like you need to have a specific personality or a specific attitude towards others. It seems like those are the type of people who make it in this world. And especially when I saw this and you read the entire thing, okay, blessed are the meek, right? But they shall inherit the earth. I don't know about you, but I hear the word inherit, I think about an inheritance, Right? I think about generational wealth that's been passed down from generation to generation. 
And it doesn't seem to me like someone who will have this big inheritance passed down from their family from generation to generation will be the person who is the most meek. That just doesn't seem to fit. It just seems like, you know, it's a, it's a square peg in a round hole. Like it's just not right. Like it's not supposed to be that way. So what is the primary difference between our modern understanding of meek and what Jesus is teaching? Because I believe there's a big difference. The reality is that those people who are conquering, those business moguls, those people that are kind of taking the world by storm, their power and their inheritance is here on earth. What Jesus is speaking about is the kingdom of heaven. He's talking about the renewal of the earth, that when he comes back and conquers, you will have the inheritance on the earth because you're a part of his kingdom come and his will be done. There's a big difference between our little kingdom here and God's kingdom, right? And, and so many times I believe that we're trying to live as little kings and queens here on earth. Right, We're fighting for our little piece of property. Even this morning at the farmer's market when I was setting up the tent, they had all of the, all of the boxes completely boxed out with spray paint. And you dare not go over the blue line. right? Because then you're in, in, intruding on Old National Bank's area. You know what I mean, right? So you don't want to go over there. This is my territory. This is my property. Don't go in it. I'm taking control of it. But Jesus doesn't live that way. He doesn't speak that way. The reality is, is that what we are a part of here is so much bigger than this little piece of property in Frankfurt 60423. It's a part of a worldwide initiative that is called the kingdom of God. It's so much greater God is moving not only here, but he's moving all over the world. And God is the one who owns the property. The reality is, is that all of us are just renters to God's land. He owns the deed, right? He owns a cattle on a thousand hills, like, right? He owns everything, so I'm just renting, right? So what am I going to do with my time and my ability that's rented? Check this out in Psalms 37. This kind of echoes what we're talking about in Blessed Are the Meek. Starting in verse 9, it says this. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place, but it shall be no more. The meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance. Abundance of peace, right? That's what we're looking for. We want an abundance of peace that can only be found through Christ Jesus. And so this morning, I want to invite you to consider God's truth in this principle. And I think you have to look at it, and we're going to break it down, but God's truth in this principle of meekness, God's truth in this principle of what does it mean to have an inheritance here on earth. And so if you're taking notes, the first point is this, meekness is not weakness, right? Meekness is not meekness. Meekness is not meekness. Certainly, it's also not weakness. Come on, somebody. You know what I mean? I feel like I'm, I'm wrapping up here, right? The word meek in Greek, it's actually really difficult to translate because 
it, it doesn't really mean just one thing. It actually has two different words. And so when you, when you learn ancient Greek in Bible college, you realize that there is so many different ways that you can translate one word. There's past tense. There's future tense. There's past future tense. There's past past tense. There's past future present tense. 27 different ways that you can translate one word word, right? And so there's many different ways to translate this word. And so what I'm going to kind of give you is what this one commentator said, David Gutzik. He said this, in the vocabulary of the ancient Greek language, the meek person was not passive or easily pushed around. The main idea behind the word meek was strength under control. Think about that. And this is the comparison. Like a strong stallion that was trained to do a job instead of running wild, right? I always found it super interesting, and I still find it super interesting, the idea of breaking a horse, right? And we'll have to maybe, you can talk to our resident rodeo guy, John, about that. What does it mean to break a horse, right? Like this idea of this Mustang that you can't control, and they're just trying to buck you off, and the power that they have, and you're training them to go into what? Submission. You're training them to for a purpose, right? And it's, it's crazy to see because you see these horses at the beginning of the process that they're trying to kind of control them and they're wild. And then by the end of it, they're walking completely controlled and completely submissive to their training. And let me ask you a question. So you see the one horse, right, the wild Mustang or whatever, and then you see the horse that's completely controlled. When you walk, watch a horse walk by, if you ever have, do you look at it as weak if it's doing what the person on top of it says to do? Reins go to the right, they go to the right. Reins go to the left. Do you look at that horse as weak? No. Because you realize that puppy's got some strength to it. Come on. You know what I mean, right? And it's, it's, it's just strength under control. So the question is who's in control? These are extremely powerful animals. And they're so powerful, them being under control or them listening to the person who has the reins doesn't make them weak. And the same is true for us. You don't have to be extremely aggressive to be seen as strong. You don't have to be out of control. I'll be honest with you. When I first came to Jesus and when I was growing up, I had an anger problem. Still, I'm working on dealing with my anger and my frustration. I used to fly off the handle at anybody and everybody, and I liked it, okay? I'm going to be honest with you, right? Like, I was walking around, and this is something that I've had to deal with, right? The kids in high school would call me bipolar kid because they're like, if we tick him off, he may just haul off and throw some, a book at our head, right? Like, and that was kind of how I, I was a hair trigger, you know what I mean, right? And it's just like, I'm thinking back to that, and I'm like, wow, like my football coach loved it. He was like, you just flip a switch, and then you're crazy. And I'm like, yeah, it's great on the football field. It's terrible everywhere else in my life, right? It's terrible with all my friends, with all my family, with everybody I know, because I had a hair trigger. And in that moment... You know what I realized, looking back years later, after going through counseling and talking about it? In those moments when I felt like I was exuding the most power, I felt the least in control. I felt the least in control. So in that moment, I was not strength, I was not strong at all. 
In fact, I was weak and out of control. The difference is as you grow in meekness and understand, you can be strong in your personality. You can be strong in your mindset. But it does not mean you need to be abrasive. It does not mean you need to be forceful. It does not mean that you need to beat people over the head with your ideas. It means you can just be under control. And I don't think we see this anywhere better in scripture than Jesus in John chapter 18. This is one of my favorite passages in scripture just because it shows how much of a boss Jesus is, okay? Right? And yes, it did say Jesus is a boss. Come on somebody. You know what I mean? My grandpa used to have a hat that said Jesus is my boss. I just flipped it around. Come on somebody. I'm going to bring that back, right? If I could find it. My forehead's a little smaller, but I could probably wear it. You know what I mean, right? Here it is. Check it out. Chapter chapter 18 verse 4. Jesus fully realized what was going to happen to him. This is him in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is him um, when he's about to be arrested, right? And he's asked his disciples to pray. So it says this, he fully realized what's going to happen to him. So he stepped forward to meet the party that's coming to arrest him. He says this, who are you looking for? Jesus, the Nazarene, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. And as Jesus said, I am he, they all flew back to the ground. Think about this statement, right? It's like something out of a dance video or something, right? Who are you? I am he. And they're just like, they fly backwards to the ground. You know what I see that as? Strength under control. Because in that moment, the Bible tells us that Jesus has legions of angels at his beck and call. If he wanted to call an angel, he could have called 10,000 and said, destroy them, burn them, turn them into salt. He could have done whatever he wanted to do. But in a moment, he just responds, I am he. And the response of who he was in God, that he was God, was so strong, but yet controlled, that they flew backwards on the ground. The power that he had was unimaginable. And yet, the next moment, what did he do? It said he went to them again. We don't have it on the screen. He walks right back up and says, who are you looking for? And offers his hands. And they arrest him. That's the true definition of meekness. Strength under control. Strength that is in control. And so point number two this morning goes right into that. Meekness is submission to God's will. Meekness is submission to God's will. Number one is meekness is not weakness. Number two is meekness is submission to God's will. Jesus was submitting to God in that moment. He was saying, God, I know that this is what I have to do. I know I have to be crucified. So I have the power to break free but I'm going to allow myself to be broken for us. That's beautiful. He gives them his hands. I think it's easy a lot of times to be like the Mustang. And a lot of times I wonder this as Christians, and I'm going to maybe get in your kitchen a little bit, and I apologize. But I wonder if this is Christians, this is what happens to us, okay? If we can just have an honest moment together. I wonder if we get our outward power or our outward disobedience or our outward anger under control slightly, right? 
I wonder if we wash ourselves up enough that we can look good in church enough, but then internally and inwardly, it's still rebellion. I wonder if, like this Mustang, we're, we're being turned to the left and the right, but inside, in our mind, cognitively, we're still like, yeah, I'm going to go, but I just don't want to. Right? We still have that rebellion against God in our mind. But we've trained ourselves to have this, this action, but we don't have the attitude. Controlling your strength with an attitude of meekness is a great quality, but I believe it is insufficient to a full life in Christ. You need to not only control your strength, your passions, your desires, but you need to now submit them to God's will. And that's the hard part. That's the lifetime commitment, I believe. Okay, at one moment, it's just me figuring out how I'm going to control this. The next moment, it's, God, can I give you this? Do I want to give you this? What will happen if I give you this? Now, Jesus is God, so he knows that they're coming to arrest him to kill him. So he's fully submitted to that. But what about you? In your life, you're not God, I'm not God. So we don't know what's going to happen. So the, that's where faith comes in. Are we going to be fully submitted to what we feel God is calling us to? Because if we are, there might be pain on the other side. But I believe it's for a purpose for him to make himself greater in your life. Or to do something through you. But that's where faith comes in, that you can trust that God is there for you, that you can trust that he is with you. But it's a daily decision, a daily conversation. God, am I going to submit to your will today? Or am I going to have a Mustang moment? Come on. And I'm going to kind of do what I want. Sometimes I feel like I'll have one, some of those moments where I just do what I want just to prove that I can. And then I realize, who am I proving it to? Right? Yeah, I can do whatever I want. It just produces bad things in me every single time, so I guess. And that's how gracious God is. Because he allows us to continue to choose our will over his. And he still loves us. And he's still right there with us. And then when we come back, he said, come on, let's keep on going. Let's rein it back in. Let's move together. I love this quote from A.W. Tozer, and it should be on the handout that you have because I wanted you to be able to have this with you. This is from his book, The Pursuit of God. It says this, Jesus calls us to his rest, and meekness is his method. The meek man cares not at all who is greater than he, for he has long ago decided that the esteem of the world is not worth the effort. Let that be of us. The esteem of this world is not worth the effort. The rest that Christ offers is the rest of meekness. The blessed relief which comes when we accept ourselves for who we are and cease to pretend. It will take some courage at first, but the needed grace will come as we learn that we are sharing in this new and easy yoke with the strong Son of God himself. 
Let that be said of us, that the blessed relief would come into your life this morning. That's what my prayer is for you this morning. That a blessed relief would come into your attitude, would come into your heart, would come into your mind. As you know, I don't need to beat my way through this world in order to be secure because I can just trust in him. The blessed relief that the esteem of this world and the honor of this world and the glory of this world is not worth it, but his glory is because it's an inheritance That it doesn't matter how many people know my name if my name is not written in the Lamb's book of life. It does not matter who cares about what I say if I'm not living what he has called me to live. I want that blessed relief. That's my prayer. That's truly my prayer. Not my will. Your will. And I love love what A.W. Tozer says. It will take some courage to trust at first, but as you go, much-needed grace will come, and he'll fill you up. Check this out in Romans chapter 6, verse 16. This is talking about our submission idea, how we submitted to God. Don't you realize that you become a slave to whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. We were wired for worship. We were designed and created to love and to connect. The question is not, will you worship? The question is, who will you worship, and will that worship be worth it? That is the question. At the heart of worship is worth Your worship belongs to what you believe and what you pay attention to the most. So if you're constantly paying attention to you, then you are worshiping yourself. What you pay attention to, what you put your value on, what you put your worth on. No one in this room can make a decision for you what's worthy to worship. And I think that's the hardest part about Christianity. That's the hardest part about this life in Christ is I can't tell you if God is worthy to worship enough for you to believe it. I mean, I'm going to tell you he's worthy, but I can't make that decision for you. Your parents can't make that decision for you. Your spouse, your girlfriend and boyfriend, your friends, your siblings, they cannot make that decision for you. You have to make the decision, is God worthy of my worship or is he not? And if he is then I want to encourage you to submit to his will. You may not like his will. You may not feel the most comfortable in his will. But I promise you, he is there as a loving and caring God to be with you. You know what's interesting? I was thinking about this whole idea of worship. And I recently went to a concert for the first time. And not that I'm hitting... I'm not hammering people going to concerts at all because then Jason might get upset if he leaves and I'm big trouble. You know what I mean, right? But I, I love, I love, you know, I love worship. And I, but I was at this concert, and you know, part of me, shame on me, it was a little bit of a country concert, so I was like a little weird, anyways. You know what I mean, right? Not if you like country, I love you too. You know, don't leave either. But you know, 
I'm not sure why, you know. So one of the guys that we like, he's more country pop, right? And, and so we weren't staying for the big headliner, right? So, you know, we see the guy that we like, and, and he's, like a, he's like a Christian in process, you know, so I'm praying for him, right? And, uh, but he has good music. And so me and Abby went on a date, and it was fun, right? And as we're leaving, uh, we're sitting there, and I'm walking out, and I took a picture of the crowd, and they're singing this same old me song. This guy's like, I'm just the same old me, you know, right? And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, ugh. This is weird, and everyone in the crowd is, like, singing it. And I was like, oh, oh, this is some worship right now. And I was just looking around, and I was struck in that moment. I was like, this is, this is weird. This is some worship in this moment of I'm the same old me, and I ain't ever changing. The same old truck, you know, right? Like, whatever. The same old, I could say a thousand country cliches, right? But I'm just the same old me. I'm sitting there thinking to myself, man, God, don't let me be the same old me. Let me change. I want to be different. I don't want to be the same old me. I don't want to worship myself. I don't want to worship somebody else. I want to worship you. I don't want to be the same old me. I want to be changed. I want to be different. I want to be more like you. I want to share with you a quote in just a moment, but before I do, I want to tell you about this guy. He's one of my favorite um, theologians. His name is Diedrich Bonhoeffer. And if you've never heard of him, he's a brilliant guy. He's a German theologian, and uh, he was a spy, actually, against the Nazis, who was then um, murdered, or he, he was put in a firing squad, and that's how he came to his death. And so if you're ever interested in reading more about this man, he... Um, he has a book about him, several books about him. But if you read Bonhoeffer's life, it will mess you up. Because you'll be like, I thought I was okay, you know, right? Like you're like, wow, this guy is just unbelievable, right? He was a college professor. He was world-renowned for his understanding of scripture and culture. And there's a specific passage from his book on discipleship that I'm going to share with you which in just a moment. But before he wrote this book, he actually went from Germany where he was. He, he grew up in Germany. And he came to New York as a theologian. He was, he was teaching at classes uh, at, at some of the seminaries in New York. And he had the opportunity to actually immigrate to the United States of America while the war was happening. And the Nazis were actually coming to power. And he was over there, and he felt like God called him to go back and to fight them specifically. And he became a, a spy, but he also started a seminary. And the seminary that he had was on a hill, and you had to you had cross a lake. And at the top of the seminary that he was at, he could see a Nazi youth camp over the hill. And he stood famously on top of this hill, and he said to his students, our strength in God here must be stronger than the hate that they have there. And it was this absolute comparison between people that are strength in God here, between people that are living in hate of themselves and others there. And he's, he, he's someone who, who ended up giving his life. And he was not like a soft guy, okay? He preached about how bad the German government was and how bad the Nazi party was from the stage. And it was recorded. And it was on public radio, right? Like, it's not like one of those things where it's like, oh, like he kind of said it in a back corner. No, no, no. He shouted it from the rooftops. 
he was talking about the manipulation. He was talking about the corruption and the evil. And they took his life for it. And he, he gave so much to the church. And, man, he was probably, for most people who talk about him, the smartest man in every single room that he stepped in. But he was also the most humble. So check out this quote. This is from his book, The Cost of Discipleship. And you should, I would encourage it. It's a recommended reading for everybody in the room. But it says this, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. This community of strangers, he's talking about the church, possesses no inherent right of its own to protect its members in the world, or nor do they claim such rights, for they are meek. They renounce every right of their own and live for the sake of Jesus Christ. What it means is that when the kingdom of heaven descends and the face of the earth will be renewed and it will belong to the flock of Jesus. That's what this means, that blessed are the meek, we lay down our rights so God can be in control. And our inheritance is not of now, but it's of the kingdom of God when God comes back and renews this new heavens and new earth. That's what he's talking about. God does not forsake the earth. He made it. He sent his son to it. And on it he built his church. Thus a beginning has already been made in a present age. A sign has been given. The powerless have now received a plot of earth. For they have the church and its fellowships, its goods, its brothers, its sisters, in the midst of persecutions, even to the length of the cross. And this is a beautiful statement. The renewal of the earth begins at Golgotha. Golgotha is Calvary. It's where Jesus died. Check this out, where the meek one died, and from thence it will spread when the kingdom finally comes and the meek shall possess the earth. The meek shall possess the earth. We are those people that he's talking about. We don't claim any rights because our right is the church. Our right is our brothers and sisters in this room. We stand for one another in our submission to Jesus Christ. And we are not fighting over a little blue line at the farmer's market. We are not fighting over dirt here on earth. We are fighting for a new kingdom that's coming down. We can be meek in this world. We can be strength controlled because we know that when Jesus comes back, the plot of land is his, and we share in his land. We are owners in his deed. So this is how we shall act. The meek, the strength under control. We don't need to be in people's faces about what they're not doing. We need to be in them about what Jesus did for them and how good he is. Check this out. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. He says this, Paul speaking to the church. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, you must also forgive. Right? This passage is how we are to live as the church. You're the chosen ones. You're the beloved ones. We are the beloved ones. So this is how we act. We forgive. We're compassionate. We're loving. Because Christ did that for us. And so you, right now, I got, I got a slide I'm going to throw up. 
And it says next steps. Next steps. You can throw it on up. And, man, Jason, if you would come up to the keys at this time. But next steps. And this is a question. Today, this, this message was pretty simple. Meekness is not weakness. And meekness is submission to God. And I felt like as I was writing the message at the end, God was just saying, you need to encourage people today, Jeff, to take a next step. To take a next step. So you can see it on the screen behind me. I'm going to read them for those who are listening to a podcast later on. But the first one is this. Maybe you need to put your faith in Jesus today. Maybe you need to commit to being water baptized. Maybe you need to commit to a church community and you want to become a member here at church. You say, you know, this is my home. This is where I'm going to be. I'm going to be a member. I'm going to serve. I'm going to give. I'm going to be a part of it. Maybe you want to join the dream team. You want to serve at one of the front door greeters. You want to serve down in kids ministry. You want to serve with our youth ministry. You want to serve at any of the events that we're doing. But I felt like God was saying you need to present an opportunity for people to take next steps. Our baptism service is going to be next month in August. So if you want to get baptized, you don't have to wait that long. Next month, we're going to be baptizing people in our service. If you want to put your faith in Jesus today, that's a decision you can make. And so I want to encourage you to make a next step. If you're not serving on a team, can you serve on a team? Maybe you serve once a month. Maybe you serve twice a month. Maybe you serve every week. Right? If you're not, if you've been coming to this church for several years, but you're not a member yet, you said, I'm I'm not this, this is not my home, maybe that's the next step you want to do. But I want to encourage you, in submission to God, He always provides us with an opportunity for a next step. And so right now, what next step is He talking about for you? What is He asking of you? And will you submit to it? I'm going to ask with heads bowed, eyes closed all across this room. If you're in this room this morning and you want to take a next step, maybe you're listening later online and you want to take a next step today. If that's you, on the count of three, I'm just going to ask you to lift your hand up just so I know who I'm praying for and you can shoot it back down. But if you want to put your faith in Jesus, I want to encourage you, pray a prayer. God, I want to give my life to you today. I want to put my trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. I mean, it's that simple to trust him. If you want to get water baptized, you say, you know what, I want to go public with my faith. I'm, I'm going to be outward what's already happening inward. Or you want to become a member here at Hope Church. Or you want to join the dream team to serve. We have the Convoy of Hope event happening on August 12th. We have the Labor Day parade happening on that first weekend in September. We're going to be walking through the parade. We, we need a team. The church must stand up together to be able to do this. So if that's you today and you need to take a next step, I just want to encourage you to raise your hand on the crown of three just so I know who I'm praying for and then you can take that next step as you see fit. One, two, three. Shoot them up. Yes. Yes. See that hand? Yeah. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are here and you are speaking to us. And God, I pray that we would have the courage to take a next step today. That we would have the courage to put our faith in you, to put our hope in you. God, that as we are submitting to your will and your kingdom come and your will be done, that it would not just be something that we outwardly do, but we're not doing in our hearts. I pray that it would be rooted in us, that our identity would be found in you. 
Today, God, we want to give you everything that we have. We love you today. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen, amen.